What's going on, man? I got one thing I want to say to you. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Remember that? Remember Will Smith and Chris Rock fighting with the whole Jada Pinkett Smith thing? Yeah, at the Oscars. I mean, Will Smith's a total complete simp. I remember that. It was yesterday. Yeah, that was the first line of dialogue that ever happened on our show. That's fucking crazy to think about how long ago that was. Our first episode went live April 25th. A month from this recording is when it'll be one year since our first episode went up. How fucking nuts is that? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I don't know, it seemed like it was only like a week ago or something. Y'all know what happened to me, getting smacked by Suge Smith and people like did it hurt. It still hurts. I got summertime ringing in my ears. None of us have ever been interviewed by the person that cheated on us on television. Hey, I was sucking somebody else's dick. How did that make you feel? Everybody called that man a bitch. And who's he hit? Me. A nigga he know he could beat. That is some bitch ass shit. I'm rooted for Will Smith my whole life. I root for this motherfucker, okay? And now... I, I watch Emancipation just to see him get whooped. Got me rooting for Massa, okay? I hit him again, Massa. Hit him again. You missed the spot, Massa. A lot of people go, Chris, how come you didn't do nothing back? Because I got parents. That's why. And you know what my parents taught me? Don't fight in front of white people. That's a great segment. I think that was on, on, uh, on Netflix. Uh, he had like a whole segment of what he did with uh, Will Smith. Yeah, Chris Rock is is a uh, pretty funny. So that was a pretty good segment. Yeah, it was from his new uh, Netflix special that came out. He actually ended up live streaming the special, which was fucking awesome. So he did it live, and then they did a live stream onto Netflix, and you can go back and watch it. And by the way, doing a special like that live is crazy because most comedians they'll typically do um, three shows you know, a week, whole weekend lineup in one theater and it will get recorded, you know, each show. And then what will happen is when they do the final edit, they could like basically say, oh, this one show where I recorded was the best one. And then they'll just edit that one down, you know? So to do a live comedy special like that, where it's not edited at all and it's completely like live streamed is fucking awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm super happy for him, and he it was just a great bit. Like he turned it, he literally turned it into like a, an awesome bit, like a genius bit. And yeah, I mean, of all the people that you could fuck with or like that you could really try to rattle, Chris Rock is not that guy. Like he's literally from, I think he's from Brooklyn. Like grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. Like he's not gonna fuck around, you know. And and Will Smith, a lot of people like them, but I think a lot of people don't like him. Because he didn't handle himself like a professional. And, you know, if Will Smith had any balls, he would divorce his wife and he would move on. So, yeah, man. All right. That being said, cue the fucking intro. Let's go. So, welcome back to another episode of the Anonymous Investors Podcast. As always, I am Stonkman. I'm joined by God, my co-host, 
the man of the hour, the man of the year. What up, motherfucker? How you been? It's been a minute, man. It's been a minute. It's always been a minute whenever we hop on the call because we don't record every day. So what what's up? What's going on with your life? What's new? Let the people know what's going on. Yeah, it has been a minute. It seems like we, we tend to record like a bunch of these episodes at once, and then we like, you know, take a little bit of time off, and then we do like a bunch again. So like yeah, it has been uh, quite a minute since we recorded one of these episodes. No doubt, no doubt. And that just to start but, uh, out. Otherwise, that, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, no doubt, man. No doubt. But uh, yeah, I figured I'd open with the Chris Rock because that's how we started our show. Like, you know, we we fuck with Chris Rock heavy, like great comedian, um, just like an awesome like personality wise in terms of like just how he carries himself. He's got like that underdog mentality. And, you know, we're really rooting for him. Uh, but I just want to touch on this because this is another guy that we're always kind of rooting for. And we seem to like his perspective and some of the guests that he has on, you know, his podcast, the biggest podcast in the world. And that's Joe Rogan. So recently Joe Rogan. Uh, so obviously he has the success of the JRE that he's been really kind of banking on, took the Spotify deal for over a hundred million dollars. Um, but now he's using that money to spread out into other ventures that he's super interested in. And one of which is, you know, obviously there was this mass exodus of comedians from New York and L.A. and a lot of these major metropolitan cities who, in my opinion, and in, 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 the, uh, in, in the opinions of the comedians who left and a lot of other people who left, uh, did not handle COVID well. They moved to cities like Nashville, you know, they moved to states like Florida and Texas, so on and so forth. But Austin had a mass exodus of people going there, particularly from California and New York. So Joe Rogan actually kind of started that mass exodus to Austin because he's like, hey, this is a fucking great city. We could kind of build out our own little vibe here and get things going. And very quietly and in the background, he's been building out his own comedy club, which he just recently opened within the last month. And it's called the Mothership, uh, you know, named after the aliens, which is pretty fucking cool. So it's his own comedy club that he opened. He bankrolls everything, owns the property, owns everything there. And he's using it as an opportunity to help people who are up and coming um, and basically set it up in a way where they can become paid regulars. They would make good money like as a comedian, because he said early on in his career and from what he's seen with some of the more recent guys that have come up, maybe like a Mark Norman or like a Shane Gillis or, um, you know, any of these other dudes that kind of came up or I mean, I guess even like Tony Hinchcliffe too, like they were going from club to club to club. And like some of these clubs, the owners are like kind of shitheads or, you know, they need the club to make money. So then they stiff some of these guys when they pay him. So what he's doing is like, he's actually using his money to platform people and to create an environment where people don't really have to worry about, you know, losing money because they got canceled or, going to a bad club and then not getting paid, even though they had a great set or they brought in a lot of people and, you know, sold a lot of tickets. So I think it's fucking awesome. It's cool to see, especially because how he came up is like, he came up in Boston, was in New York for a little while and then went to LA and was at the comedy store, which is, you know, world famous, like Jerry Steinfeld kind of came up out of there. Jay Leno did Richard Pryor, uh, George Carlin. I mean, it's like all the all time greats, Sam Kinison, so that place was really good for a while, but it kind of died out you know, because of COVID and the whole lockdown. And some of these people in LA, they still walk around wearing a mask, which is so fucking preposterous. Like it doesn't even make any sense to me. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like Joe Rogan having his own club, like, what do you think of that? I think it's fucking awesome. I think it's a step in the right direction. And I think it's also good that someone who understands, um, stand up like for him to have his own business and to be able to platform people it's like he's just gonna pick the people that are good like it's gonna be a meritocracy almost in its purest form so what do you think of the whole thing yes so like how how does this comedy club business model work does he just like hire a performer and then he gets the money from the ticket sales um and like the concessions and stuff like that from these from these events that he hires or like, does he just take a cut of like each person? Because you said like he was, he's there to kind of like promote these certain people, whatever like that. So he must be getting like a percentage of ticket sales or something. I wonder how, like how this business is run, this uh, comedy club business. Or does he like take a cut of like, you know, like, like a lot of comedians sell like DVDs and stuff like that. Does he take a cut of the people's DVDs? Like how, how does he make a return on this? Or does he even care if they make a return on this? So he kind of came out and said that he doesn't care if he makes a return on this. And it's just like a fun thing that he's doing. Um, and he always wanted to run a comedy club, but he actually said though, uh, his business model, more or less, at least for the people who are coming up, uh, who don't have any fans, they don't have any following. He just wanted to have an environment where people could actually go up and they're constantly being challenged by people who are like better than them. Um, because he says that in a lot of other comedy clubs that he was in, like you get all these people who are like retarded and they just copy each other and steal each other's material or they they don't do anything that's too productive or they go on stage and they're using the same material for the last fucking you know six months or a year or however many years and it's just kind of boring but the big thing is like at least having a venue where these people could do a show like kill tony once or twice a week where it's sort of like an open mic but like you have to bring the goods for the first minute you have that minute on stage not to say you need to use the full minute but you have that minute on stage where it's like, all right, I have to bring my fucking A game. And, you know, and it's a good way to get exposure. Uh, the other thing I also think is that you mentioned people selling DVDs. Most people now what they do is they just put their special out on YouTube if they're like kind of coming up. Um, I think Mark Norman did that. Shane Gillis definitely did that. Andrew Schultz did that. Andrew Schultz actually sold the rights to his special to Amazon and then bought it back and then put it out on YouTube because he didn't like how Amazon was kind of telling him to leave certain material out and he thought it was censorship. So then he ended up buying it back and, and just putting it out, you know, on his own independently on YouTube. Uh, who else did that? Is, um, Oh, Stavros, Stavros from the come town podcast, who I, I know you're familiar with that podcast because of the old YouTube channel I used to run. I used to just fucking post clips of them and shit like that. So he was in that crew. Um, he put his special out on YouTube. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But essentially, like, let's say Kill Tony goes, they sell tickets, they sell out every show. They have two rooms in Joe Rogan's venue. There's the Fat Man and then Lil Boy, named after the atomic bombs, funny enough. So uh, whatever the bigger of the two rooms is, I think it would be Fat Man, I guess. Let's say it's a four or 500 seat room each ticket sold for $20 Joe Rogan gets fucking you know 20 30 percent like he, he gets a uh, that's called I think gate is the term so he would get like a percentage on like whatever the gate is and then you know these people they'll broadcast at YouTube whatever and then he doesn't get any of that revenue and I don't think he cares it for him it's not really about making money it's about kind of having a, a platform and having a place for people to congregate and and there's also like a sense of camaraderie and like building up your own type of community so i think it's cool man yeah so in, in uh in minnesota um 
I think it was in uh, Prairie, Prairieville, Minnesota, something like that with a paper, Prairie, Minnesota. This uh, nuclear power plant run by Excel Energy um, basically had a leak and the radioactive water from the facility was leaking out. And this happened earlier in the week. Um, it leaked out for the first time. It was like a small leakage, like not that, not that uh, many gallons came out. And then later on in the week, it leaked again. And um, over like 400,000 gallons of radioactive water um, leaked out into the facility. And the problem with this is that like these hundreds of thousands of gallons, eventually the, uh, the streams that are nearby, they, they uh, hit the Mississippi River. So they're not sure if the water actually hit the Mississippi River and contaminated the water in the Mississippi River. And a lot of the water from the Mississippi River, you know, is distributed across the United States. Um, you know, a, a lot of bottled water manufacturers take water from there. So, like, you know, this is uh, a huge potential concern is if this radioactive water uh, hit the Mississippi River or not. Uh, and, like, they had, uh, not a lot of people know about this, but the Nuclear Regulatory Commission come in and basically, um, like, examine or, like, do testing on uh, on the water. And, like, it's pretty much inconclusive at this point. Um, they see, like, uh, like a small amount of milligrams in, in the Mississippi River, but... They're not sure exactly how much radioactive water got, got to the Mississippi River, and um, they, they don't know if, if this is going to be uh, like have permanent effects. Uh, if if the water pipelines are going to be secure, or is this nuclear power plant facility going to leak again? And what other potential effects this, this could have uh, in the future? Like this is a huge concern um, to our our drinking water. Like you know, we saw other events. You know, like uh, in Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio, that was at least regional. This this kind of nuclear uh, facility leakage can have effects nationwide with the water supply, and it has much more of a national impact than you know what we were talking about previously with uh, East Palestine. So this is like this is crazy what happened now. The uh, I don't even know how there's leakage. I mean, they they should be doing uh, more and more testing and making sure everything's secure uh, going forward. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is fucking crazy now. This is the second incident that we have where chemicals and hazardous chemicals, obviously, are leaking into rivers, which then will affect the drinking water for millions of people. Um, in the case of East Palestine, I did see that there was someone who came out and said, it was a chemical specialist and expert that came out and said that something to the effect of like 4 million people would be at risk because of the drinking water being contaminated, which is fucking insane when you think about it. Because the fact that 4 million people would be at risk, I mean, that's a lot of, not only is that a lot of people, but my understanding is that the Ohio River, which is where these chemicals spilt into, and we were able to prove this because we also played this clip. If you didn't see it, you should go check it out. It's on Twitter. There was a young woman who picked up a boulder and dropped it into the water. And obviously oil and some of these chemicals do not mix well with water because they're not, um, you know, they're not solutes. So they don't mix in the water. So these all these chemicals will just rise to the surface of the water. And you can see because it looks like there's oil slicks on the water. Um, the big problem there was that with the Ohio River, with these chemicals getting in there, the Ohio, the Ohio River runs into the Mississippi. So now you're talking about two major incidents where the Mississippi River is affected. And this is really starting to get bad. I'm getting very concerned with this this whole nuclear nuclear plan and this nuclear meltdown i mean this is really getting fucking bad the infrastructure in america is crumbling before our, our very eyes 
We just had this Build Back Better bill that was approved and, and signed into law. What the fuck, Build Back Better? Why do we have nuclear power plants that are failing? Why do we have an incredible amount of trains that are being derailed? I mean, if you just look at the level of train derailment over the last five years, this year, it, it looks like it's on pace to be one of the worst years ever. I mean, what the fuck is going on? This is a joke. We spent all this money in taxpayer dollars to rebuild America and rebuild the infrastructure, and nothing is fucking getting done. And it's amazing. And, and obviously, this will affect the drinking water, right? And the drinking water is like, yeah, that fucking sucks, right? But you could always buy bottled water, and you could always shower with bottled water or a, a fucking jug of water from like a water cooler if need be, right? Where I, where I am really concerned is that this water will be used in crops, right? And it will contaminate the soil. Uh, you have, you have even just going through the water cycle, like we, like we all learned in school when we were little, you know, this water will evaporate. There'll be some type of condensation and then what will happen is then, there, then there's precipitation. So you have soil getting impacted. You have animals that are drinking that water either from the river or getting wet because of the rain. You'll get acid rain. Um, so soil will be impacted. Plants will be impacted. Food will be impacted. Animals will be impacted. Animals, you know, obviously being a, some of them being a byproduct of the food. It's like this is only going to get fucking worse for people that live in middle America. It's going to affect the farmers negatively. It's going to affect the miners negatively. I mean, this is really going to get bad. And this is like, it, it's just a joke that nothing is being done to kind of stop this shit from happening. Yeah, while you were going through like the list of things that were going to be impacted, I, I was thinking to myself, it might be easier just to say the things that aren't going to be impacted because this is going to impact pretty much everything. And I don't think enough testing is done on these nuclear power plants. Like, you know, the testing that's usually done on these nuclear power plants is done in the construction phase, and it's not done in the uh, pre-operational and operational phase. And so, like, there is extensive testing when it comes to when they're building nuclear power plants, and there is, like, security measures. They have to have security guards there on a nuclear power plant for up to 100 years after it closes. But in the operational phase, there's not much uh, regulation when it comes to uh, periodically testing it, making sure it's operating safely and efficiently. Um, there should be like functional testing of the safety systems um, to like calibrate uh, different in instruments or instrumentation um, in the system in the systems and do like um, various different tests to prevent um, certain accident scenarios that might be common. Uh, I think you, you should, like sites should be monitored like you know more uh, effectively and more efficiently than they are today. Um, and I don't think these like safety systems. Uh, that are being put in place are like, good enough. I think we need to like invest more into the safety systems because nuclear power plants are very important for energy needs, but there needs to be uh, more effective safety systems put in place. And we need to monitor these various different nuclear reactors and inspect the components over time for like, you know, signs of wear and damage because these components, they do corrode, they do erode. And, and there should be like more regulation into how often you have to replace different components on these nuclear reactors and uh, you know, there's just not enough issue when it comes to that and uh, that's just, i think these like uh legislators should focus they should focus on putting in uh, legislation when it comes into the operational and operational phase there is you know a lot of uh regulation already when it comes into construction and decommissioning as i mentioned before like you know the security guards have to stay there for up to 100 years afterwards and i think if they look at these uh different components 
each of these critical components of the system. I think we can uh, ensure like safety and reliability and prevent the destruction of our cross, destruction of our water supply, and like the destruction of like the various different things you mentioned previously when uh, you like went through like it seemed like a uh, dictionary of items that were going to be affected. Yeah, this is crazy. And like you said, and I really want to hammer this home, like the food supply is going to really be impacted by this, right? Almost. I mean, they're watering, if the water from the Mississippi River is being used on crops, I mean, it's going to affect crop yields. Crop yields are going to go down. They're not going to be as, uh, as proficient. We're not going to have as effective crop yields. Um, the water is also like, you know, you say like bottled water, you mentioned before, a lot of like, Water companies, they bottle their water like from the Mississippi. Like I like I, I would have to look this up to be sure like what percentage, but like there are a lot of bottled water actually comes from the Mississippi. So like this can affect even bottled water going forward. So like this is not like bottled, even having bottled water is not really even the answer. Yeah, so like uh we, we have Biden in office, so obviously we have, you know, a bunch of inflation. People can't afford food, they can't afford uh various different things. So these sorts of like uh underground networks of like fried criminals are forming where they're targeting um, various different cities across the U.S. and they're basically attacking uh, mainly the uh, the food freight cargo and then they're selling it um, on the market and like th these containers they, they contain an average of like I would say a quarter of a million dollars in food um, and they've been attacked like over a thousand times in the past month like they're getting attacked rigorously right now. And this is the biggest uh, expansion of freight theft has happened in 2023. We're seeing a huge, huge expansion of freight theft. And this is mainly due to the economy. You know, these banks collapsing. Uh, people are, are afraid. They're scared of inflation. They can't afford food. And a lot of people are struggling um, across the U.S. I mean, what do you think the solution to this is? Do people get a, a second or third job? How, how are people going to combat this inflation? What can the government do? What can a person do individually? What do you think, what do you think people can do about this situation? The game was rigged from the start. It's true. The game was rigged from the start. The game was rigged from the start. I mean, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, what I would do, though, to combat inflation and combat some of this bullshit going on, first and foremost, I'll say this. I'm a buy and hold investor, okay? When I buy equities or if I buy anything, I buy bonds. Um, I typically will buy with a long-term horizon. I'm a little on the younger side. I'm not super old. I'm not a boomer yet. So I'm more of a long-term guy, and I believe that society as a whole will be more productive, companies will be more efficient, and thus will become more profitable. And there'll be you know, exponential innovation that shortly follows thereafter. If I have, let's say, $100,000 at bank, right? And let's say it's a small regional bank, I'm getting the fuck out of there. I'm going to JP Morgan. I'm going to Merrill or uh, Bank of America, rather. I'm going to Morgan Stanley. Maybe I'd go to Citi. You know, you want to move into a bold bracket bank. You want to deal primarily with them. I would say that. That's first and foremost. I would say, so in my hypothetical situation, you have $100,000. You have direct deposit set up. You're dealing with a smaller, maybe online-based regional bank. Or maybe let's say someone like TD Bank. I would get the fuck away from them. I would move to a large institutional level bank. In this case, let's say uh, Bank of America. I would move my assets there. What I would do is I would only keep my emergency fund there. And then everything else, I would just roll into T-bills. 
and I would just ladder out treasury bills. So what I say by that in terms of uh, laddering T-bills, I would do, you could do uh, 4, 8, 13, 17, 26, and 52 denominations. And that's, of course, the weak horizons for T-bills. T-bills are uh, treasuries in that they are government-issued securities that have a maximum maturity of one year. It's actually a very good way to garner interest, uh, especially considering that banks are doing this and they're leveraging your deposits to buy T-bills, and that's how they're paying you the interest. That's how you're getting you know, 3% or, or 4% at certain online banks right now. So that's what's going on. And the problem with these banks is that there is no reserve requirement. There has been no reserve requirement since March of 2020. We discussed this ad nauseum in the last episode, but I really feel it's important to bring it up again because, you know, we're in a situation now where these banks, like, they're not responsible and they're not obligated to hold enough money to meet the demand reserve. So that herd mentality that we spoke about, that's so prevalent. You see people just, oh, well, Jimmy's doing it. Sarah's doing it. Fucking whatever. And then they just follow the crowd. That herd mentality is is typically led by like people who are highly irrational, who are very good or, uh, orators, or they're like a little bit charismatic, and they have a lot of sway and influence on people, or they're just contrarians too. And they're the people that will like cause a panic like that, which will then fuck everyone up. So you could do everything right. You could have your money at a large, bold, bold bracket, too big to fail institution, and you could still go wrong. So my big thing is this, and God, I'm almost sure you'll agree with me on this. My thing is the velocity of money. If I have $100,000 at whatever, let's say TD Bank, if I have 100K at TD Bank, I'm not worried about the government guaranteeing the money and FDIC making good on that money. I'm concerned that they're going to take fucking forever, right? They're going to take forever for me to get my money. I'm concerned about the velocity of money. My big thing with money is I have to be nimble. I have to be liquid. I have to be able to move in and out of shit. That's the big thing. And we sort of have this business mentality because God and I have both run you know, multiple online businesses that have been very successful. We've scaled them to a point, did really well with them. And it's sort of like our thing was cash conversion cycle and inventory turnover in that we care about how we care about from the day that that order is placed. When do I get the item? When does it sell? When do I get my money? And that's what it comes down to. So we're big on the velocity of money in that we need to be able to be highly liquid and move in and out of shit right away. So if I'm an average person, I'm moving to a larger institution. I don't think taking a second and third job is a good move. I think that dedicating a large portion of your free time, because if you work 40 hours a week, even if we assume that you commute an hour in total each day during the week, that's another five hours, you're at 45 hours. I mean, you don't realistically, even if you did get eight hours of sleep, I don't think everyone needs eight hours of sleep. But even if you did get eight hours of sleep, that still leaves you a lot of free time to exercise and then, you know, learn different skills and learn different trades that will promote your career or push you in a direction for higher career advancement opportunities, maybe pursuing a specific designation that sets you apart from the pack, maybe um, learning Excel, maybe learning how to code. If, if I'm a young kid and I want to get ahead, I would focus on something that is super marketable where it's really just a function of your skill that's going to like affect you making more money. So a great example of this is like, 
if you're a real estate agent, right, which you don't want to be a real estate agent right now because the market sucks. But if you're a real estate agent, you could sell a $2 million house and you might sell it in like a week. That check that you're going to get, you're getting paid on the results. You're not getting paid on the function of time. On a $2 million sale, I mean, let's say, I don't know what the commission is. Let's say it's fucking, uh, well, let's say closing is like, let's say 3%, right? So let's say a $2 million house that you sell, closing is 3%. So it'd be 60K. And then I don't know how you'd split it with a brokerage. Let's say it's like a fucking 80-20 deal or some shit. Let's say you walk away with like 10 or 12 grand. Like you might make 10 or 12 grand a week, which is good. Um, and that's what most people would typically make over a three or four month span. So you want to have something where there's a function of sales that's tied into what you're doing. Maybe it doesn't in the very beginning, you it might you might be better off not having that in the very beginning and having sort of a hybrid model where you're salaried or you get paid hourly or whatever. And then you also get a function of sales, but you have to prove your value. Like if you're an average person, you're working for someone else, you're a salaried employee or you get paid hourly, you have to be able to sit there and be like, I can directly say that I accounted for, you know, another $200,000 in revenue for the company this year. And then like, they're not going to let you go. And you have to like fucking remind these people of this shit because otherwise they'll, they'll look to get rid of you. Not to say you have to tell them every day, oh, I brought in 200,000, oh, I brought in 200,000 or like whatever, but you have to make it, you have to make it very clear and say like, Hey, I partnered with so-and-so we've been working on this. Here are the ideas that I proposed. You know, based on what we looked at, this is going to bring in another $200,000 in revenue each year. And it's like, then they're going to be like, wow, that's fucking awesome. And then you get people in your corner. You have to be professional about it. You got to be smart. But if you're super diligent and hardworking, you'll be all right. I think the main thing is just focus on your personal finances. Don't spend any money frivolously if you can help it. Really try to be frugal and Remember the big thing, God, you you and I were both talking about this, but it's like that concept of not fuck you money, but like fuck off money. Like one year of expenses chilling, like as an emergency fund, that's fucking peace of mind in itself, right? Yeah, I mean, of course, the, the, the more and more money that you have, the more and more peace of mind you're going to have, the more and more freedom you're going to have. And I think a lot of people, they, they, they're in this sort of like dead end job, dead, dead beat job. And, you know, they could do much better with their life. And I think they need to access um, what skills they have, what experience they have, um, both work experience and personal experience. And, you know, work on developing those skill sets, work on, you know, getting experience in different fields, work on um, their accomplishments, identifying, you know, potential areas where, you know, they're good at or they excel at. In areas where you know they can improve and and, and improve their skill sets and, and they should like either target a job where it pays more that that takes use of their newly developed skill set or as you said before they can take those skill sets to start a business um you know to do other things um with the skill sets that they have and they just need to get out there they need to you know access what skills they're good at what skills they're not good at and they need to um you know get get better at the things they're not they're not they're not good at and you you need to uh go out there and you know network with various different people learn about you know the different job opportunities and different connections out there you know go to uh different events i was watching a video uh with dana white right and he said he went to this wedding and he didn't even want to go to the wedding and that wedding is where he uh met up with the uh fertita brothers who, who then um he went into partnership with them to basically buy the UFC. And if he never would have went to that wedding, uh, he never would have like 
he got 10% ownership in the UFC and the UFC probably would have, you know, it got destroyed and got eroded. So like even uh, certain like events, certain things that you might not see like the purpose of going to, or you might not see a benefit in going to that particular event, just go to the event, you know, connect with the different people at the event and you never know what's going to come from it. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Um, put yourself out there. Take like in your mind, you might look at this and say like, oh, I'm taking a huge risk. I'm going out of my comfort zone. So like I'm naturally more of an introverted person. I think God is also too. Um, typically, we find that people fall into three categories. And usually the first type is more introverted, analytical people, people who I guess you could classify as sort of like classically how movies would depict as like nerds, right? Uh, so I'm more of like an analytical person by nature, but then I kind of positioned myself, especially now with this show and how, you know, I think I do a pretty decent job speaking on here and, and being concise in the points that I want to make and speaking with, you know, passion and purpose here. But I shifted myself more towards the second type, which is more of that like executive type of like sort of type A, let's get shit done. Let's do it this way. And you just want to see results and you're like, okay, what can we do to yield the best results possible? How can we run this? How can we make it more efficient? So I've geared myself more towards that. Um, you know, you'd be a little bit more, I'm a little bit more outspoken, especially on here than I would be in like a normal chill setting. Um, and then the third type of person is the people who's much more sociable. They care more about like the experiences. They don't really care about results. They're just looking for someone to kind of hang out with. So you get a good mix of people when you engage, but you definitely should go to these events and you should network and just be sociable. That's the biggest fucking thing. Um, especially in a business setting. This is what I find with interviews too. This is a really good interview tip for a lot of maybe younger people or people who are looking to change careers. My biggest interview tip is that you have to try uh, two things. The first thing is that when you're doing an interview, the other person is looking for a reason to not give you the job. If you never give them that reason, more likely than not, you will get the job unless you are like the second best candidate, then they're going to hire the best candidate, of course. So that's the first piece of advice I have for people. Number two is you have to speak with purpose and you have to be very concise and you have to choose your words very carefully. That's very important. If you if someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer to the question, but you know what they said and you need more time, you can only do this once because then the person's going to get frustrated. But if God says to me, uh, blah, 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 and asks me a question and I don't know what the answer is, I'll say, I'm sorry, I, did, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat that? I can do that one time. If I do it again, I'm going to come off like a dickhead. Or if the person's really smart and they're a good interviewer, they'll know that I'm doing it on purpose to buy myself some more time. So that's another good tip that I'd give to people is like focus on trying to buy yourself the most amount of time possible. Number three, people like to hear themselves talk. I like to hear myself talk. I typically go on fucking monologues on here pretty regularly. So it, it people like the sound of their own voice is like one of the biggest things. And once you realize that, you can use that to your advantage. You can actually get more information out of people. There's a reason why interrogators do this. There's a reason why interviewers will do this. So if you're an interviewee and you know the person being interviewed, um, try to like flip the conversation, try to have the other person talk about things. And then once they're kind of telling you about the company or they're telling you about their interests, I had one interview I did a while back. Um, the guy was a fan of the Jets and he's a big football guy. So we were just talking about the Jets for a little while. Like it's just a super chill conversation. It makes you much more personable. It shows that you have commonality with the person you're talking with. And they'll automatically like you because they'll say, oh, this guy's a Jets fan or, oh, this guy's a Yankee fan. Like, you know, this is a good guy. 
I'm actually not a fan of the Jets, but the point is that he was from New York. He was a fan of the Jets. So I was like asking him about the team. I'm just a fan of football in general. So I, even though I don't like the Jets, I know enough about them because I like football. So I can say like, oh, you remember Revis or whatever. And remember, oh, I had some good teams over the years, you know, the last 10 years, whatever. So I'll let him do the talking and I'll talk about something that he's really passionate about and he's really interested in or whatever. And if you, if the person isn't like, here's another tip. If the person isn't like willing to kind of go that route in the conversation, uh, when you go into their office, look around, see some of the shit that they have. A lot of guys or gals, they'll have stuff hanging. You know, there's one person I know that has artwork hanging up. Oh, what's this painting? That's so interesting. Even if you don't give a fuck about the painting, you're like, whatever, it's just a fucking painting. It looks like a kid did it. It's fucking dumb. You could sit there and think that, but like, just pretend to be interested. Pretend to give a shit. Oh, wow. That's an incredible, that's a marvelous painting or that's a great painting. Who made that? Oh, what, what artist is that? I'm, you know, maybe I'll look into buying a piece or, you know, whatever, as long as it's not something crazy, you know, you bullshit a little, whatever you have a conversation. But the point is you need to be sociable and people need to see that you're not just some fucking dork that just works all the time. Because the people who come off like that, they typically have a harder time getting promoted. They have a harder time finding jobs. You need to come off as well-rounded. You need to come off that you have other interests. Because whether you realize this or not, it's not always just about being the most efficient employee possible. People are also looking for someone to hang out with too. And a lot of people don't want to admit that. But you're spending and you're dedicating such a large portion of your waking time to work. That people want someone who is not only tolerable, but like very friendly, very sociable, gets along well with others, someone that's a team player. Because the people who are just the most efficient, they typically will kind of box themselves in as like lone wolf types. And that's fine to be that guy after you've established yourself. But in the very beginning during the interviewing process or any process where you're being introduced to team members, you need to come off as sociable as possible. But you also need to obviously get the job done. And that's the, those are the most important things. So there's a lot of like that political angle that goes into some of this stuff that people need to be more aware of. So those are things that I would say definitely focus on. And I'll just say this as a last tip. You know, in conversations or in interviews, they're not always going to go your way. But if you could let the other person do most of the talking... And another tip I'll just throw in that's a, a pretty good one is try to make the person laugh or smile at some point. You know, I could say to someone, if I'm, there was one interview I did where I was being interviewed by a woman who had a pet dog. And she told me this for whatever reason, very early on into the conversation. So I said to her, you know, she was like, oh, you know, I have a pet dog, whatever. So I was like, oh, that's, I was like, oh, you know. Oh, that's cool. What type of dog do you have? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm going back and forth talking about dogs, right? Now, I don't give a shit about her dog, but I'm going to I'm gonna ask her about the dog because it makes for a more stimulating conversation. She clearly loves her pets. She wants to talk about her pets. Otherwise, she wouldn't have brought up her dog, right? So I, you know, I said, rather than say, oh, I have a dog as well. That's stupid. That's dumb. What, like, you're, what are you, fucking reading a textbook or, or a fucking novel here? You don't say, oh, I have a dog too. That's a robot answer. That's a bot answer, NPC answer. What you say is like, oh, I'm also a dog parent as well. Like you say something funny or you say something witty. And then, you know, maybe you talk, tell a story about, oh, the dog was, you know, being like a douche or whatever. You don't use that word, obviously, but you'd be like, oh, the dog was being like kind of, you know, whatever. The dog was talking to me or like, you know, 
doing something stupid, right? But that's the point. You got to be sociable. Like there's certain ways to answer questions. There's certain ways to address things. Um, there's great example. It's happened to me at work somewhat recently. There's a woman who has an office that's near mine and she had her door open and she came by and, you know, she's pretty friendly. And she said to me, oh, you probably heard me swearing or whatever because she had the door open. And I said, oh, I'm sure you hear me like that. And we both laughed. And, and, you know, it was a nice moment. I don't really I don't swear, but I said it anyway because it's funny. And and she obviously found it amusing. That's why she left and walked away. So now when she leaves that conversation, she's like, oh, you, you know, Stockman, he's a funny guy. Like he's got a good sense of humor. He's very bright you know, very high IQ. And that's what you want. That's what you want people to think. So you have to be sociable. You have to be witty. Being witty is, is the biggest thing. Watch like stand-up comedians um, interact with the crowd when they do like riffing on stage. That's another great tip. Now, obviously you can't use some of the material because it's a little X-rated or a little over the top, but just watch how they interact with people. And, and you'll see like, oh, this is how I could be more witty or like, oh, this is how I could kind of you know, get a little banter going. And those are my biggest tips. Like that's super important. You have to master the political aspect of like just fucking talking to people and oh, especially networking though, is like go to these events, get out there, talk to these people. You could drink a little bit. I recommend you don't really drink at all if you if you don't have to. But some people, you know, have coffee, whatever going into the event. Don't make a fucking ass out of yourself. And I mean, you don't want to be the guy that's like remembered for doing something that's wrong and get outside of your comfort zone. If you're really afraid of like going to an event, a professional event or networking event that you're invited to by a colleague and you don't want to make an ass out of yourself, I recommend doing this before. Join Rotary Club or, or join some club or organization or go to some meeting as like a first timer and interact with the people and take you know, you can take chances in the conversation because as long as there aren't people that you know, it doesn't matter, right? So a good example is like if you go out to a bar or you go out with friends or wherever and you just start talking to random people, you know, the conversations might be bad because you don't really know how to talk to people if you're one of those people. So if you're in a boat where like you don't really talk to people well or you're not like eloquent in what you say or do, it doesn't really matter. The stakes are very minimal because you're probably never going to see these people ever again. So that's the reality. I would do that before you move into high stakes stuff where you're interacting and actually networking with people. But yeah, like Dana White, like you said, at the wedding to interact with the, uh, the Fertitta brothers, like that's, you know, that's big time. Yeah, uh, those those were some good tips when it when it comes to like like you know um, interviewing. Another thing you can do is too is um, you know you have to assess whether you're like a morning person or like an afternoon person when you have the most energy in the day. And most of the time, like you know, they ask you what time you want to schedule um, your interview for. Like you know, uh, Monday they'll give you like a day, like oh Monday through Friday, and then you can pick a time and schedule it. So you can, you have to assess. Um, you know, when you have the most energy, when you're going to talk the best, when you're going to be the most eloquent. And, um, yeah, as you said before, too, um, you know, interview interviews are usually like an informational uh, asymmetry situation where, like, you know, the person's asking you a bunch of questions and you're responding to them. And it, it's it's good to, like, you know, sometimes flip flip some of the questions around, like, you know, after you give your thought, like ask, ask the person what they think about this. Um you know, get their insight on various different things. It can show that, you know, um, you're willing to learn, you're understanding, um, 
you know, you're not like uh, narcissistic and conceited. Like, you don't, you don't think you have all the answers and, you know, it's, it's a good thing to like, ask them uh, various different questions throughout the interview, you know, find out some of their interests, uh, look at what clothing they're wearing. Are they wearing a watch? Maybe strike out, strike up a conversation in regards to um, certain clothing they're wearing or certain um, things they do throughout the interview. If it's a Zoom interview, look at the background. Um, there might be pictures on the wall or like, um, you know, certain things on the wall. They might like basketball, baseball, whatever. You look at the wall, look at the, you know, there might be a picture of them and their kids. Like, you know, strike up a conversation about them and their kids with, um, if they have a picture there. And, you know, just look at like different background things um, to strike up conversations that are not necessarily related to the job at hand and related to your skill set so that like um, the whole situation isn't entirely focused on you and your skill set. You could strike a more personal conversation. Have warned these fucking people at about this ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. Of course, I'm referring to the social media influencers who have been charged by the SEC for their involvement in these crypto pump and dump scams. And this is fucking crazy. So we just saw this just came out. This is breaking fucking news right here. Breaking news, Jake Paul and Lindsay Lohan were indicted by the SEC and charged for their involvement in crypto-related pump-and-dump scams. Unfucking believable These people will never learn. Wow. I mean, I, I remember you and me predicting this a while ago that this was going to eventually happen, that the SEC was going to come down on a lot of these crypto... Uh, fraudsters these crypto info, info fraud and for fraudsters as i like to say and, and it looks like um it came down to them i, I heard uh, a bunch of them actually settled though and that the only it was only two people who didn't settle i think soldier boy and somebody else are actually gonna fight the case but a lot of these uh, crypto influence, influencers actually settled for a two hundred fifty thousand dollars settlement and they got paid um like much more than that i think they got paid half a million so this is still a drop in the bucket it's it's like, you know, you steal five, six, seven hundred thousand, and then you only pay two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. Seems awfully familiar with how you know Wall Street works. Yeah, I mean, uh, you recommended this to me offline in a private conversation, and you recommended it to me about a year or two ago. And this was the um, sixty minute special called To Catch a Trader, and it was involving Stephen Cohen, the now owner of the Mets and the founder of Point72, but previously he had his own hedge fund that was called SAC Capital, uh, Stephen A. Cohen Capital. And essentially they built out this network where they had Edge, which is Edge's insider information that they were acting on. And the guy was getting these crazy returns in excess of 20% for all these fucking years or whatever. He ends up paying the largest fine in SEC history, which was hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was barred from the securities industry for three years but he made like $20 billion. So like the example that they're setting and the unintended consequence of their actions, their actions referring to the SEC, of course, is like they're just telling people it's okay to break the law. Just make sure we get our share of the money and then you can keep most of the money you made illegally and in an illicit manner. It is a terrible example that they're setting for the youth. It's a terrible example they're setting for society. And the people who are wronged in these situations feel like they're getting the shit under the stick and it just breeds more and more animosity against the government and people do not understand that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be, uh, you know, more uh, clarity, more, um, you know, more investigation into how these you know settlements are actually reached. I, I'm not sure exactly how the SEC comes up with uh, a number um, in order to find these people when they're um, negotiating these sorts of agreements. Uh, you know, is it based off of total loss? I mean, and where, where does this money even go? I don't even think the money goes to the victims. I think the SEC just, you know, they find them and they take the money. And I, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what the SEC does with that money. I don't even think it goes to the victims when the SEC conducts a fine. I think the victims receive separate funds. So, like, I'm not exactly sure how this whole process works. Um, and a lot of the times the SEC, they take these these huge fines and then they don't even give them back to the victims, which is, you know, this whole system needs to be uh, changed, needs to be uh you know, look at, and it, it needs to be like some sort of change here because the, the SEC is, is a big joke. They, they they find a lot of people that don't deserve to be fined. They find like Tesla. They were finding uh, finding Elon Musk in Twitter, and it seems like the people that actually deserve to be fined a lot of times they give them a slap on the wrist or they're not even actually fined at all. So like this seems like a very political organization, and it doesn't seem like the right people are are being fined, and the law is being implemented in the right way. Yeah, it just creates a, a bad precedent, and I'm not the biggest fan of that. Um, and, you know, this is how the SEC reacts to it, of course, when these people settle. Tell them to bring me my money. Tell them to bring me my money. You know that meme. I love that meme. Bring me the dough. Bring me the dough. Bring me the dough. That's right. Uh, yeah, it's just... Dope on. Did, did you hear about Dope I did not. What happened there? Oh, Doquan, uh, you know, I'm that's the guy that... Sorry, uh, folks, I'm complete. It. Sorry, folks, I'm completely lying there. I did hear about Doquan. Uh, we colloquially <laughs> referred to him as Dumquan. I called him this on numerous occasions on the show. I go, I remember, I, I think I made another call here. I'm going to break out the Stonkman fucking crystal ball here. You're going to start calling me the uh, Suitsayer Stonkman because I fucking called this shit too. I said they're going to get his ass. Interpol put a warrant out for his arrest. And then... And, you're telling me now, and I knew this already, that they caught him, and they fucking got him, and that's it. And you know what? This is what Dumquan said, and it went back on him. So hang on. I'm going to play this audio. Hopefully it works. Oh, oh, call an ambulance. Call an ambulance. But not for me. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that meme, but I love that fucking meme. That's the best. It's the guy pretending to have a heart attack. He pulls a gun. He's like, but not for me. Yeah, they got him. They got Dumquan, that fucking bozo. All right, so what were you going to say now? Sorry, go ahead. Nah, I mean, I was just going to basically say, uh, I, I know a lot of people do that, too. I've been watching, like, um, like a lot of podcasts. They'd be like, oh, do you know this? And then the people just say no. It's just like a way to get, like, the topic started and the conversation started. Like, a lot of people will just lie and say they don't, they don't know about the topic. <laughs> Meanwhile, they do. You'll ever see that in podcasts, like my first million, um, a whole bunch of podcasts just do that. They'll be like, do you know about this? And it's we like, do that a little bit. Like, no. We do that a little bit, but like, all right. So just to kind of, I guess, explain this to people, our process, it's actually, I think, a pretty good process. Like we go through five stages of like how we develop everything and it, the whole show comes together and the shorts come together. But essentially, the first stage is information gathering, where I will go out and I will look for information and seek it out. God will go out and seek out information. And then we kind of do like how, you know how Airbnb is like, 
when you do a review for someone, let's say you have two people doing the review for an Airbnb. You have the person who owns the property and then you have the, the renter, right? So the renter will leave like a five-star review and say like, wow, this was a great property, like way to go. And the way Airbnb does it is like, it's sort of like a blind like draw. It's like a fucking Mexican standoff. You have the two guys standing there. They both have their pistols. They don't know when the other guy's going to draw. And then they just fucking draw and shoot each other. And, you know, usually one guy shoots the other guy and kills him, right? So it's sort of like that. Like, that's how we gather our information and, and sort of the process we take. God will gather information. I will gather information. And then we sort of do like this Mexican standoff right before we record where I'm like, okay, this is what I came up with. And then I'll say like, okay, this is what you came up with. And then we'll pick the most interesting ones. But typically what we like to do, because we want it to be as organic as possible. If we wanted it to be inauthentic, we would just sit here and be like these retards on CNN where it's like, and now uh, on in five minutes, we're going to talk about the, 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 like, we don't want it to be rehearsed, right? We want it to be organic. We want it to be a fluid conversation. That's how Rogan's podcast became big because it's unscripted. He'll typically gear the conversation towards certain topics that he knows that he wants to discuss, but he doesn't know how he's going to discuss them with the person he has on, of course, as a guest. So we typically try to do this, the same thing. We want to come off as like, you know, we want it to be an organic conversation. Like we're just chilling because at the end of the day, we are just chilling. You guys are just kind of like looking into the window and you're seeing and hearing the conversation, but we're having the conversation and we would have this conversation in a fucking, in our group chat if we weren't doing it in a recording format. So that's really what it boils down to. But I think more podcasters need to do that. Do the blind draw approach. It It's great. It works. God comes to me, hey, here are the fucking 10 things that I came up with. I'll go to him, hey, here are the five, 10 things, whatever I came up with. We'll say, hey, let's do this, this, and this. We'll kind of try to discuss them in a fluid order where the topics are relevant, and we'll go from there. And it makes sense. Like, I don't see any reason to sit here and be like, no, I didn't hear about that. It's like, that's fucking dumb. That's retarded. If anything, say, like, if you know about the topic, you say, uh, I did hear, like, Rogan, what he does, this is a great interviewer tip, by the way. On any podcast, any radio thing, any broadcast, this is the best fucking tip ever. Someone brings up something to Rogan that he heard about, he'll say, I heard about it, but why don't you explain it for the people listening? So then the guy will give the background information, and he'll talk about it, and Rogan kind of pushes the person to talk about it and give their opinion on it. And then he'll say, yeah, I agree. Or, 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 Oh, I heard this or whatever. That's contrary to what you're saying. And that's a good format. That's a really good format because you're giving everyone the background context every fucking time. Oh, why don't you explain for the people listening that that's the best line ever that everyone needs to use that line, which is why I said, Hey, no, I didn't hear it. And then I'm like, obviously I'm fucking around. That was a lie. But why don't you explain for the people listening? So why don't you explain what happened to Dumquan for the people listening? Yeah, so uh, Dumquan, um, he was just picked up. He was flying on a plane to, uh, he was going to Dubai, and he got picked up by Interpol and uh, was arrested on because he 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 bought a fake uh, Costa Rican passport. Like the moron that he is, he cheated out. He didn't buy uh, a good fake passport. He was caught up uh, by Interpol and arrested, and he's being. Um, you know, extradited back to uh, South Korea, and South Korea is filing charges on him, as well as the United States, I think the United Kingdom, and a couple of other countries. So, like, this guy is he's in the same boat as uh, Sam Bankman Free, both of these uh, bozos 
both of these dummies, both of these, uh, you know, nerds are, are going to be going to jail for a long time. Probably they're going to be going to jail for life. Sam Bankman-Fried and, uh, and Dokon, you know, I, I think they should sit share a cell. I think we should extradite Dokon to the United States. I think those two people, those two characters should share a cell with each other. <laughs> You know who that was? That was your buddy. <laughs> Who's that? Aiden Ross. Aiden What's Ross that like? laughing. Aiden Ross laughing. Oh, <laughs> Fucking bozos. Don't drop the soap. Don't drop the soap. <laughs> Fucking idiots. These people are so ridiculous. They think they're above the law. They think they're fucking crazy. I just want to play a short little clip, though, that um you'll... God, you will love this. I promise you. Yo, boys, I may need some help. I found a room with a bunch of mob spawners. Can y'all come and help me destroy them? Not right now, Trump. Not right now, bro. I literally don't even know where the fuck you at. Fine. Guess I'll do it myself. But I'm not giving you guys any of the diamonds I find. Donald, no need to be rude. I'm trading with some villagers I found using the emeralds we mined earlier. I'll head over when I'm done. Trump, I don't give a single fuck about your diamonds. I already have a full chest plate and a diamond sword. Shut the fuck up, Sleepy Joe. You think I give a fuck? You probably modded that shit into the game anyway. Trump, I've spent way more hours on this server today than you have. Maybe you'd be caught up with the rest of us if you got on earlier when we asked. That's true, Trump, homie. You never checked Snap. We sent you a message earlier, but you always leave us on open. Well, maybe if you guys weren't always spamming stupid-ass memes, I'd be able to see when you actually message about something important. Dude, this fucking spider won't die. Just kill him, bro. It's not that hard. What the fuck? There's fucking two of them. Oh, my God. I'm cornered. Where the fuck are you guys? Dude, just build a wall. It's what you're good at. Holy fuck. I'm going to fucking die. Oh, shit. <laughs> fuck. Haha, -ha, What did I miss? Trump just died and lost all his shit. Hillary, were you seriously taking a shit for a whole hour? Yeah, man. It was definitely the Taco Bell. Bro, that shit's fire. I had it last night. The new grilled cheese burrito smacks. Hillary, sorry to break the news to you, but I had your enchanted bow on me when I died. Seriously, bro. I didn't even give you permission to go through my stuff. Well, I don't really give a fuck. I'm getting off. <laughs>